0: We've had the children and the old men. I don't know what Stephen was doing in there, but that's good. Well, today we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And as I have said, our purpose is to look at the church that Jesus established to see if we are that church, to see how we measure up. Now, I think it's probably obvious to you by now as we've been looking at the book of Acts that the thrust of the church Jesus established was evangelism. It was a very evangelistic group of people. I said last week there are two groups of people we are hesitant to witness to, good people and bad people. Now, we are a little uncomfortable witnessing to bad people because we think they can't be saved. And then we are a little hesitant to witness to good people Because we think they do not need salvation. Last week we looked at a man who would be considered as a bad person. His name was Saul until he became a follower of Christ and we better know him as the Apostle Paul. Today we're going to look at a man who was a good man but he did not know the Lord. His name was Cornelius. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10 beginning in verse number 1. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in to him and said to him, Cornelius... And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed... He summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in the constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Not everyone who appears to be good is good. In other words, good can be deceptive. He was a pastor of a large church. He reached out to those who were marginalized and written off. The church was comprised of the wealthy and poor, street people, and congressmen, black, white, and brown. He received the coveted award for community involvement. He seemed to be a good person. His name was Jim Jones. Another man went to medical school received a degree, began his practice, took the Hippocratic Oath promising to preserve life. His name was Dr. Jack Kavorkian. There's an old saying that says, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck. That is not always so. Our subject this morning appears to be a good man. As we examine his life as it is recorded in Scripture, I think you will be impressed that he was a good man. The Bible tells us that he was admired in verse number 22. The Scripture says, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. So, the Bible says that this is a man who was admired by people. He was admired by the community. Now, we know some admirable things about him. In verse number one, we learn that he was an Italian. His name was Cornelius. And that is an Italian name. In fact, 65% of the Roman soldiers at that time were Italian. We know also that he had reached a fairly high rank in the military. He was a cohort. Now, within the centurion rank, there were 60 levels. The lowest rank was in charge of 80 soldiers. The highest rank was in charge of 480 soldiers. That was a cohort. He was in the cohort. We can assume that he was at least 30 years of age. The reason we say that is because one had to serve in the military between 12 and 16 years to be eligible for a promotion to this rank. The Bible says that he lived in Caesarea. Caesarea is a beautiful place. I've been there many times. It's on the coast about 50 miles northwest of Jerusalem. The water is beautiful. It is clear. This is where he lived. Now at that time Caesarea was the seat of the Roman governor or government and it was the headquarters for the Roman governor. Now it is believed by some that possibly Cornelius was a member of the security team for the Roman governor. Now he was a respected man in his community. What I want you to see is that he was admired by society. He was also a religious man. If you look in verse number two, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now, isn't that impressive? The Bible says that he was devout. The word means holy awe or reverence that shows itself in activity. So he was a devout man, but this is not just a feeling. It is not just an emotional response. The Bible says that he demonstrated his devotion. He was a devout man. The scripture says that he feared God. Caesarea was a city of many religions. And it says of Cornelius that he was a devout man or he was a God-fearer. Which means that he left the polytheism, he turned from the polytheism of that city, and he instead pursued the God of the Jews. The Bible says that he gave alms. The word alms means an act of mercy and compassion. It is any act by which one demonstrates one's love by a deed of kindness. So I want you to understand that this man gave alms. He was a devout man. He was a kind man. He ministered to the needs of people because of his kindness. Did you also notice the Bible says that he prayed continually? The scripture says that that was his habit, that he prayed continually. Well, on one occasion, this occasion, he was praying and his prayer was answered and he was alarmed by it in verse number 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now, on this occasion, he is praying. And his prayer is answered. There is a response to his prayer. Let me ask you a question. Do you expect your prayers to be answered? Would you be somewhat alarmed if you were going through your time of prayer and God actually intervened in your time of prayer? Do you really expect God to answer your prayers? I have a friend who recently went to the doctor and received a very serious diagnosis. I said to him, I will pray for you. And he said to me then, Don't be mourning my death while asking God for a miracle. Do you really expect your prayers to be answered? When you pray for something, when you pray for someone, do you expect God to hear your prayer? He is praying at this time, Cornelius. God intervened and the Bible says that he was alarmed. But not only was he alarmed we are able to discern something about his condition as a result of what is said. You see, here is a man who is religious, but he is outside the kingdom of God. Here is a man who was admired by the people, but he is not a believer. He is not saved. He is still lost. That's a reminder to us. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, and as I've prayed about this message My thought was and is, and as I was praying up here a a moment ago, I said, Lord, I would imagine that there are some good people in the audience who think they are right with you when in fact they are not. This is a reminder to us that one can be sincere and yet lost. Just because someone is sincere does not mean that they are sincerely right. They can be sincerely lost. For instance, I can go to the medicine chest and pull out a bottle and take it thinking that it is a medication that will help me. But if it is strychnine, even though I am sincere, I'm still going to die. There are consequences to it. The point is that, that we can be sincere in the beliefs we hold, but that does not mean the beliefs we hold are correct. We can be sincere and yet lost. We can be religious and yet lost. Being religious does not mean that one is a Christian. Being a Baptist, being baptized, doing good things, does not mean that one is a Christian. Now, Cornelius was a religious man. The Bible says that he prayed continually. The Bible says that he gave alms. The Bible says all of these good things about him, that he was devout, all of these things. He was a religious man, but the Bible says that he was lost. Now, last week we looked at at Paul. Paul was a religious man. In fact, his persecution of the church was in response to his religious beliefs. He believed that he was serving God through his persecution of the church. He was religious, but he did not know the Lord. Throughout my ministry, I have known many people who were religious and respected people, good people. But they were not saved. I've had deacons who have served and Later they came to the point to say that I'm a deacon, I'm a member of the church, but I don't know the Lord. I've even had a minister of music who was serving as minister of music and got saved. Now not Steve, Steve's still not saved, but you know I've had. <laughs> the point is that just because we are religious that does not mean that we are saved. A person can be good and still lost. Cornelius was admired as a good man, a kind man, but he was still lost. The Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. So I want you to understand that good can be deceptive. Not everyone who appears to be good, who is trying to be good, is necessarily a child of God. But the second thing I see is that faithfulness can be effective. And as I look at this, Cornelius was faithful. Look at verse number 5. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. The angel didn't witness to him. Uh, You know, I mean, I probably would have said, well, why don't you just tell me? But he said, I want you to send down to Joppa and have Peter to come. And Peter is going to tell you something. But he didn't argue. Look at verse number seven. When the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right? He didn't argue. He didn't, say now, he didn't say to the angel, Look, surely there's someone closer who can tell me what you want to tell me. He didn't say, You know, Peter is a Jew. Why am I reaching out to a Jew to come and tell me what to do? He didn't argue. C.S. Lewis said, arguing against God is arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. So as I look at Cornelius, when the angel spoke to him, interrupted him, he didn't argue nor did he procrastinate. Look at verse number 33. So I sent to you immediately. And you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Folks, when God speaks to you and when God speaks to me, we ought not procrastinate. We should respond to God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, And this do, knowing the time." That it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. My friend, if the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, be responsive to the Spirit of God. Don't procrastinate. If the Spirit of God says to you, this is what I want you to do, then do it. But don't procrastinate. Cornelius was faithful. And Simon Peter was faithful also. First of all, he told him about the deity of Jesus in verse number 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now that's what Peter said to him. He is The, the one I'm here to speak to you about is Lord of all. Now, in verse number 4, the word, is, the word Lord is used when he said to the, to the angel, what is it, Lord? But the word in verse number 4 means sir. So he says, sir, what is it? The, the word that is used here in verse number 36 speaks of the deity of Jesus. He is declaring him to be God. Barnes says he is sovereign or ruler of both Jews and Gentiles And hence Peter saw the propriety of preaching the gospel to one as to the other. So when Peter is now speaking to Cornelius, he is being faithful in that he speaks about the deity of Jesus. He says that he is Lord and then that he is anointed. In verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So what Peter is saying is that Jesus, I'm here to speak to you about Jesus... He is God. He is deity. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one. This is the Messiah that God had promised. Barnes says that is set him apart to this work and was with him acknowledging him as the Messiah. So when Simon Peter comes to Cornelius, he is faithful and he speaks about the deity of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. There in verse number 38, he says, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That is the ministry of Jesus. He went about doing good. Barnes said he did not go, and I like this, Barnes said he did not go for applause or wealth or comfort or ease, but to diffuse happiness as far as possible. This is the simple but sublime Record of his life that Jesus went about doing good isn't that a tremendous testimony wouldn't you like that to be yours I would like for it to be mine that he went about doing good and then the Bible says that he was healing those who had been oppressed by the devil then he told him about the death of Jesus in verse number 39 and we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. So when Peter now comes to Cornelius, he talks to him about the death of Jesus, how Jesus died for the sins of mankind. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse number three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Folks, that's the reason it's so important. The cross, Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and for yours. You know the story of the death of Jesus and when the Bible says, or he said from the cross it is finished. That is an Aramaic word to telestai. And it literally means it is paid. It is paid in full. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of my sins, all the sins that I've committed, all the sins that you have committed. And there on the cross, they were placed on Jesus, and Jesus paid for them. And so from the cross, he said to Telestai, it is paid. I have paid for your sins. Peter told him about that. And then he spoke to him about the resurrection in verse number 40. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Jesus died and he rose from the grave. Many times I have stood in the tomb at Gordon's Calvary and thought about the uh, resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. He's not there because God raised him up now the rumors went out that perhaps he had swooned and was revived or maybe the disciples came and stole his body. Peter said, no, no, that's not what happened. Peter talking to Cornelius said, God raised him up. And Peter's saying, these are, these are not rumors. He said, there are witnesses. Those who, those who have seen the resurrected Christ, not Rumors. No one stole his body. He didn't swoon. God raised him up. And there are witnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Paul said there are witnesses. They are alive. You can talk with them. That's what Peter is saying. God raised him up and there are witnesses and then he tells about the purpose of Jesus in verse number 42 and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Now Jesus did not come to judge, he came to save. The Bible says that in John chapter 3 verse number 17. He didn't come for the purpose of judging you, he came for the purpose of Saving you, that was the reason that he came. But if you reject him, then the Bible says that he is the judge. I have to remind myself, I am not the judge. Sometimes I think that is my responsibility. It is not, it's Jesus' responsibility. He is the judge. And the Bible says he's the Savior in verse number 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins the condition for salvation is believing the word that is used there actually better is, would be translated trust it means to trust that i'm willing to trust him for salvation not just to intellectually believe in him satan does that but to, but to trust him the consequence is forgiveness that if i trust him then i am forgiven of my sins If someone is faithful, faithfulness is effective. And if we are faithful, the loss will be receptive. Spirit move, verse 44. I I, I love this passage of Scripture and what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now, the word was heard has to be for someone to be saved because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the word has to be shared. that's that's what we are to do. We are to proclaim the message, and that's what Peter had done. He had talked to him about the deity of Jesus. He talked to him about his life, talked to him about his purpose, his death and his resurrection. So for the word has to be heard. And when the word is planted, it is a seed that is planted. Then there is the work of the spirit. And when when the spirit is at work, there is a spontaneity about it. When the spirit is at work, there's a spontaneity. In the first little church I pastored, I was uh, about to, the music was ending, I was getting up to preach, and I stood up the pulpit. There was a man started walking down the aisle, Bob Sanders, tears coming down his cheeks. He came forward, I'm about to preach, he came forward, he said, I have to get my life right with the Lord. And what I wanted to say was, Bob, that's not the way it works. I preach... And then the choir will sing an invitation, and then you come forward. That's the way it's supposed to work. But see, when the Spirit of God moves, it's not necessarily like what we planned out. There's a spontaneity to it. There was a man who visited our church. He used to sit right up there. He's since moved no longer here, and that's the reason he's not sitting up there, I guess. But when he came to our church for the first time, he had never been in an evangelical church before. I made an appointment to go see him and I went over, now I I don't know whether I was doing EE at that time or faith or whatever it was, but it was some program. And so I sat down to witness to him and I start going through my points. And he interrupted me right in the middle of them and said, "Well, you know, I appreciate that and so forth. But what I want to do is to be saved. Would you just tell me how to do that? I think, oh, that's what I'm doing if you if you'll sit back and listen but I abandoned my program and just told him you know that if he understood that he were a, a sinner and that Jesus died for sins and we prayed and he received Christ he came to this church and was baptized and now he is a member at First Baptist Church in Camden see when when the when the spirit moves there is a spontaneity about it and a power to it When the Spirit moves, the lost are found, the blind see, the dead are made alive, and religious become righteous, and believers are amazed. Look at verse 45. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. They were amazed that God's grace had been extended to the Gentiles. That God saved the Gentiles. I'm still amazed when somebody gets saved, aren't you? There's a lady in our community, I had known her for five or six years and had talked with her off and on and talked to her about the Lord and so forth. She was from a different religion, not denomination, but religion. Not long ago, she came to my office and sat down and I shared the gospel with her and she was saved. And boy, she's on fire for the She's a member of our church now. She's on fire for the Lord now, using the platform God has given to her to tell others about what God has done in her life. I'm amazed. I was talking with uh, John Keller. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Hilton Head yesterday. He had called me, told me he took his car in to have it service. While he was there, he was talking to a man who told him, and John began to talk to him about the Lord, and he told him that he had grown up Jewish, and he said he'd gone to a J-Strike crusade. And he said, and I got saved there. And he's a member of a Christian church. And he said after he got saved, he called, uh, he called his dad because he wasn't sure how his dad was going to respond. And he said, Dad, something happened to me. It's a little unusual. I wanted, he told him about it. And his dad said, well, son, something unusual happened to me. And he said, I gave my heart to Christ. When the Spirit of God moves, there is power. And, folks, the thing is the lost are receptive if we share the gospel. Cornelius was saved and he was baptized. And if you tell someone about Jesus, if you know Jesus and you tell someone about Jesus, the Spirit will do his work and people will be saved. Let me conclude. Bad people can be saved. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul because Jesus changed his life. Bad people can be saved. But good people can be saved also. Cornelius was a good man, respected in the nation. Religious man. But became a believer in Jesus Christ. John Newton said, When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be To miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. It is by the grace of God that anyone is saved. Not by the goodness of us, but by his grace. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Oh, don't, now don't tell me that you're a Baptist or a Methodist or an Episcopalian or something. Do you know Jesus? Don't tell me that you've been baptized and you go to Sunday school. Do you know Jesus? Because that is the requirement for heaven, that you know Jesus. Do you know him? Our Father, I come to you at this time to lift up this time of invitation and to pray for these. Father, for those who do not know you, even those who are good people. I pray today they might be saved. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing. My friend, if you're willing to commit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I ask you to come today. Take one of the staff members by the hand. They will pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please. As you stand, they sing. You come, I'll greet you.